As always, it is good to be here. We are going to talk about why creation is such an important thing here today, because every time I come, I've got something to talk about with creation, it seems. But uh, the reason that is, is because I think creation affects much more than whether you believe God created the world or not. It, it affects everything you think. It affects everything you do. It, it affects every church. It affects Christianity. It affects salvation. And so that's what I want to talk to you about here today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and thank you for your word. I just pray that you would just help us to have faith, Father. Not just help us, but to give us that faith. Lord, even that is a gift from you. And we are so grateful that you loved us enough to not only give us your son, but to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May they be open to receive your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of people think that things like homosexuality and pornography, uh, abortions, all of those things are really important side issues. Or how about the gospel? I mean, those are the things that as Christians, we should be out spreading the world because we don't want people to go to hell, so we should go tell them about the gospel. We really don't care what they believe about creation because, well, creation, that's you know a side issue. It doesn't matter that much. Well, like I said in the beginning here, I'm going to show you that that's the root of the problem of all of it. What you believe about creation or evolution will determine what you believe about the rest of the things in your life. This is an extremely important issue because all of these things, you, you can look at it as a, a big pot, everything is going to come out of your belief. Now you guys have learned about worldviews and how a worldview affects everything around you, correct? Likewise, even within Christianity, there can be a worldview. And as those of you who have heard me speak before know, my worldview is this. God is real. His word is inspired. His word is inerrant. And so I will trust his word to guide me through this life. I look at his word to look at science. I look at, I look at his word for how I'm supposed to train my children. I look at his word as what my purpose is in this life. I look at his word to what my purpose is or what life will be after I'm no longer in this body. And so it's important to have a solid foundation or biblical worldview, even within the church. <clears throat> it's interesting because if I would give you a definition of what science is, it's summed up with this. Science is a total collection of knowledge gained by man's observation of the physical world around him. Using one or more of his five senses, taste, hearing, smell, sight, and touch, to investigate the world around him, and then those observations can be repeated. The key is this. Science is what you can see. It's what you can touch. It's what you can smell. It is what you can observe. If you can't touch it, feel it, smell it, it is not science. You with me? Science has to be observable. That's by the very definition. Now, we don't see evolution happening today, do we? No, we don't see animals turning into people. We see people behaving like animals because of evolution, I believe, in part. 
but we don't see animals turning into people. We don't observe evolution taking place today. Now, I know some of you may be saying, ah, but it's so small, it takes, it takes long periods of time, and there's small changes. No, even in the fossil record, folks, we have never seen one piece of observable evidence that says evolution is true. But we've got the missing links. No, what you have is a monkey that has longer fingers or a monkey that has shorter fingers. Does that mean that's evolution? No, what you've observed is a monkey had longer fingers. Likewise, if you all hold up your hands right now, you would be able to see that some of you have longer fingers than others. That doesn't mean you're evolving. What we observe is that there's a variety among a kind whether it be a human kind, a dog kind, a cat kind. So what we see happening today with variety is the exact same thing we see in the fossils. But remember, if it's not observable in the present, it is not science. That's important. Now, I've been on dinosaur digs and stuff like that, and you know, uh, it's weird. When we dig up these bones, I have never found a diary of that dinosaur telling me what it ate, who it liked to hang out with on Friday night, or what happened to him. No Polaroids showing me what the landscape looked like at the time. All I see is a bone, and all it says is I'm dead. And frankly, it didn't say that. That would have been freaky. But it just lets me know that I have its bone in its hand. I assume it's dead. All right? So, under rare circumstances, we do see things like Woolly mammoth teeth. This is one of them that we have in our museum. This is an actual woolly mammoth tooth. It is not fossilized. It came out of a real woolly mammoth frozen in Alaska. Yeah, you should have seen me trying to prank, pull that thing out. No, I didn't. But it is a real one. Okay, now I have actual observable science. Because you see, we have found woolly mammoths standing frozen with food in their teeth, undigested. So now I can tell you what woolly mammoth ate because we see it. When you cut them open, do you know that the food is still in their stomachs, undigested? So now I have observable science. I can tell you, as a matter of scientific fact, what this creature ate. Now, we don't see that with dinosaur bones or stuff like that. There's a lot of interpretation that has to go. How did that dinosaur bone get there? How did it die? Maybe a meteorite. Maybe it got in a fight with somebody else. Maybe a flood. Maybe somebody shot it. Okay? Whatever. Anyway, if I would give you a definition of evolution, it's something like this. It's a belief about the past based upon words of scientists who weren't there, who don't know everything, and who are trying to explain evidence that only exists here in the present. How did it get here? In other words, it is not science. Because to be 100% correct about anything, folks, you need to either have been there or you need to be omniscient, know everything. Okay, guys, I got news for you. You weren't there when things were created. And though you may disagree with me, you don't know everything. But as a Bible-believing Christian, this is pretty exciting for me because guess what? I know somebody who was there, God my creator, and he even left me a record of what happened in his holy word, the Bible. So already I'm a couple of steps ahead of any evolutionist because they don't have anybody that was there. I do. 
And I even know somebody who knows everything, who's omniscient, God, my creator. They don't know anybody. The best they can do is their minds. Now, I've said this before, but I want you to realize this, guys. We serve a God that is amazing. I would think that one brain cell is all it takes to let you know that there is the supernatural out there. Science can't explain love. How much does love weigh? Science can't explain the origin of morality, the origin of life, all of these things. The Bible tells you all of these things. So I would say that whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not, all it takes is one brain cell to admit there is a super divine being that got us here. There's something else after death. Again, whether you believe it's the God of the Bible or not, Right now, I just want you to know, there has to be a supernatural. And whoever that supernatural would be, I know who it is. It's Jesus Christ. It's God. But whoever it is has to be extremely smart because we can't figure it out. To put the information we see in DNA and all of that, that takes some extreme intelligence. Guys, I can't tell you how God did everything he did and why he did everything he did because God is smarter than I am. And if I could explain away how God did everything through science or whatever else, wouldn't that make God very small? It would make him very small. I don't want to serve a God that I can figure out because that makes him very, very small. But my God knows everything. He is omniscient. Ken Ham, he used to say this all the time, and I think it's a great fact. It says, you know, no matter how much you know, there's always an infinite amount more to know, which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much more there is to know anyway, which means you don't know how much you do or don't know, which means you just don't know much at all. Catch that? What he's saying is this, guys, there's always more to learn. Always. Okay, and this is why it is impossible for you to be an atheist. If you think you're an atheist, you are the most ignorant or cocky person I've ever met in my life. He said, well, that's rude. It's true. To be an atheist means this. You have to say you know everything because you're saying there is no evidence anywhere in the universe that God exists. You're saying you know everything. You're saying you've got all the evidence. Guys, even Einstein said he knew less than a tenth of one percent of the information that's out there. So there's just no way. There's... 99.9% of the information that's out there, do you suppose there could be evidence that God exists? Sure. So at the very best, you could be an agnostic, which means you don't know if God exists or not. But you can't be an atheist. Because that's saying you know everything. You've got all the information. So at best, you're an agnostic. You ask a scientist, is it true that science has changed in the past? because we found new evidence. They'll all say yes. I mean, frankly, I don't even know if it's safe to eat eggs or not anymore. Right? I mean, it's good for, you know, yes, eat eggs. Don't eat eggs. Eat eggs. Don't eat eggs. Make up your mind. Right? Scientists are constantly changing their opinions. God's word doesn't change. It's always been the same. But ask scientists, yes. So you can say, all right, so science has changed because we found new evidence. Absolutely. So that means we're going to continue to find new evidence, and that means our understanding of science will continue to change. Absolutely. So that means we don't know anything about everything. 
That's correct. So we don't know anything about everything? Right. So that means we can't be sure about anything. That's correct. That means we sure can't be sure about evolution. No, 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 evolution, that's a fact. That's the mindset we're dealing with. You see, guys, we can challenge that you can't know anything outside of God except for evolution. No, 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 that is a fact, and I'm standing on it. That's what people say. It's hard to reason with that. You know, let me put it this way. Guys, if I came in here and I said, hey, five plus five is eight, and you go, okay. I come back a week later and I said, sorry, I read the next chapter, five plus five is 10. Okay. I came back another week later and said, I'm sorry, five plus five is actually 15. Read another chapter. And you go, okay. How many weeks would I get away with this before you didn't believe anything I had to say? Probably the first week, right? Because you know what five plus five is, because there is such thing as truth. But Bottom line is, if I change my mind all the time, you wouldn't believe anything I said. Yet these scientists constantly change their minds. Constantly. It's in the papers every week. Something's new. And yet we consider them to be like a God and that they know everything. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why is it that you're putting your faith in man who constantly changes their mind rather than God and his word that has remained consistent for 2,000 years that we've had the Bible. You see, the key to the past is really the Bible, okay? The Bible is the key to the past. Let me give you this. Do you know that, for you Christians who believe the Bible actually, that every New Testament author quotes Genesis at least one time? There's 165 verses of Genesis in the New Testament. Some of those verses are quoted more than once, bringing the total of Genesis in the New Testament to be over 200 times. Now, let me ask you this. Why is a book that nowadays is considered to be one of the most mocked at, scoffed at, chewed out, spit up books that we have in our society, back then considered to be one of the most reliable, important books? that every single New Testament author quoted it. Jesus himself quoted it as actual history more than once as well. Jesus believed in it, but today, oh no, that's not history, that's allegory, that just means you know, something else, it's just an example. Or, but, no, Jesus quotes it as history. Why? Well, I believe this. If you look at Psalms, first of all, who wrote Genesis, I guess? Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, the Bible tells us that. Now, what that means is I believe Moses compiled the information, okay? Because there's the record of Adam, the record of Seth, and so on. But Moses wrote it. Look what Jesus says here. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, had you believed Genesis, you might say, you would have believed my words. Guys, if you can't believe Genesis... I'll tell you something, it won't be long before you don't believe the New Testament either. That's what this is saying. And this amazes me today because, guys, you Christians out there, you probably believe Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. You probably believe that Jesus walked on water, that he turned water into wine, that he took a man's ear that had been cut off, picked it up off of the ground, stuck it back on his head, and it's fixed. Because those are things the New Testament tells us are true. 
But then I go to those same people and I can say, do you believe that God could create this world in six 24-hour days just a few thousand years ago? Oh, no, that's scientifically impossible. Yeah, so is being born of a virgin. So is walking on water, turning water into wine, and healing a man's ear at the snap of a finger. How come you're willing to say, oh, science has proven the Bible wrong in the Old Testament, but in the New, science doesn't matter? Think about that. Do you really trust and believe God's word and that God is God? That means bigger than you and he can do miracles? That he's the author of science and therefore he's not bound by scientific principles? He can walk on water? That he can speak things into existence? Think about that. If you don't believe Moses, you won't believe the New Testament eventually because you're going to pick up on that inconsistency sooner or later and you're going to say, oh, that is right. Yep. Science goes against the New Testament too. Now, by the way, I'm not saying the Bible goes against science. I believe science supports what I'm telling you, that the earth is young. If you've heard me speak, you know that. But right now, I'm talking about the philosophy of this, the consistency of what you believe. Luke 16, 31. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. We've got Andy Stanley Charles Stanley's son out there saying that we don't need the Bible. That if science and the Bible disagree, we must side with science. That all we need is the resurrection. To teach about the resurrection. Forget all these other side issues. I got news for you guys. You can't. What Andy Stanley is saying flies in the face of this verse in itself. If you don't hear Moses, if you can't accept the word of God, Genesis then you're not going to believe that even the resurrection could take place. Because, by the way, that too is unscientific. You can't just teach the resurrection. You have to teach it all. Because, you see, creation is a foundation for things. Judges says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Today, our foundation of Christianity, creator, creation, is being destroyed. And as a result, what can the righteous do? The church is falling apart. Why? Because we've torn down our foundation. Because there's a reason the Bible started with Genesis. If Genesis didn't matter, God wouldn't have put it in the Bible. He'd have just had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you know, made it a lot easier to be a Christian. Because it'd be that much less to read. But he didn't do that. You see, it's there for a reason. Not for you to make fun of, not for you to deny, but for you to take seriously and to learn from. And I believe there's a lot to learn from it. Consider the foundation of a house. If you've got a solid house on a solid foundation, it'll last for hundreds of years. But you take that same house, build it on a shaky foundation, it's coming down in just a few years. I believe that many people are ignorant to the fact that the foundation of our church, the foundation of church doctrine, is Genesis. If you can't believe Moses and the prophets, then your church, your, your doctrines will not stand. Consider it as a keystone. You remove that, what happens? The doctrines are going to fall down, aren't they? Well, the meaning of anything is tied up in its origins. You know what the meaning of gay is? Happy. 
But boy, I'll tell you what, if I came into here and said, I'm a gay man today, you'd have been like, he's a homosexual. Why? Because you see, our society has changed, hasn't it? Society has changed, so the definition has changed. But if you really want to know the meaning of something, you have to go back to its origin where you see the true definition. For example, you look it up in a dictionary, it'll tell you. Well, I believe that Christian doctrine has origins too. And so you need to look up those origins where they first began to understand what they really mean. But today, just like we've done with the word gay, we've taken many church doctrines and we've twisted them and made them fit something that our culture likes, not what the Bible says. And boy, I'd love to talk about a lot of those doctrines. I can't talk about much, but I'll give you a few. You see, they've tried to replace the foundation with evolution. We've got people out there saying, oh, but you can believe in millions of years and believe in the Bible and theistic evolution, progressive evolution, or progressive creation, all these kind of ideas that are out there. But I got news for you. None of this can stand if that's what you replace a literal genesis with. Cannot stand logically, consistently. Just can't do it. The fact that a creator exists means something, guys. It means he made you. He made me. And that means he gets to set the rules for our life. Now, if you disobey those rules, who are you going to answer to? Your creator. That's what it means. Just the logical aspect. Maybe you don't believe God's your creator. But if there is a creator, there is no question it means he made you, he sets the rules, and you answer to him. Now, if evolution is true, that we are a product of chance by lightning striking some primordial soup, goo turned into zoo, which turned into you, now, now what? Now, who makes the rules for your life? Well, you do. And you do, and you do, and you do, and you do. Well, that's a bunch of doo-doo, because now we've got chaos, don't we? Yeah. But that's what evolution means. Everybody has come about by chance processes. Therefore, your brains have every right to make different rules than your brain. Don't, you know, I have my right to my opinion. Don't impose your opinion on me. That's what evolution means, logically. So let's look at a couple of doctrines. Why get married? You know, most of you... We'll probably get married someday. Why? What's the big deal? Why not just go live with them? Sleep with them? Eat with them? Just, what's the point of getting married? I mean, it only risks a divorce, right? And then you, you know, take half of your stuff or whatever, right? So why get married? Well, if we want to understand the meaning of a marriage, you have to go back to its origin. Where's the first marriage begin? Genesis, we see Adam and Eve. God said it's not good for man to be alone, so he makes a woman. Okay? He makes a woman, and then he says the two shall become one flesh. Now that's packed with meaning. Now let me get back, I'll come back to that. Before though, Malachi 2.15, God even says, why did I make them one? Why get married? says, because I was seeking godly offspring. 
one of the primary purposes of a marriage is to have godly offspring. Did you know that? Today we think, oh, kids, whatever. Are going to have kids? I don't know. Maybe. God says it's one of the most important things in a marriage. Have kids. But are you willing to do what God has said regardless of your opinions? That's one of the primary purposes. Okay? <clears throat> this idea of one. First of all, let me show you this. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 Jesus is questioned about divorce. And Jesus, his answer is this. Haven't you read? He which made them male and female at the beginning said, no, time out. There are people who think that God made Adam and Eve long after the earth was here. Earth was here for millions and billions of years. Okay, now the Bible doesn't say that. That's just them trying to get their ideas in the Bible. When does Jesus say the beginning is here? Have you not read that he which made them millions of years after the beginning? No, Jesus defines when the beginning is. Haven't you read? He which made them at the beginning. He says, God made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, our math is different than God's math when it comes to marriage. You guys think, hey, I can go sleep with a guy, I can go sleep with a girl, okay? There's a guy, here's a girl, we sleep together, and guess what? We're still one. Is that what God's Word says? Uh-uh. It says, you go sleep with somebody, now you are part of them. You have become one with them. Now, I don't understand how all of this works. I don't understand all the ramifications, but I know it's true. This is why when God is, or Jesus is questioned about divorce, he says, I hate divorce. What God has joined together, let not man tear apart. If you are one when you're married, and then you get a divorce, what do you become? A half? I don't know. I can tell you this, there is something spiritual that goes on when you sleep with somebody. And I know that because I'm going back to the definition of what a marriage is. Today we think, ah, you sleep together, no big deal. It's a big deal. Even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, God's talking about sleeping with a prostitute. He says, you can't unite yourself with a prostitute. You become one with her. Now, I'll bet many of you here have parents who have been divorced, know people who you love who have been divorced. I'm not saying they're going to hell because they got a divorce or anything like that. You see, this is what Jesus has done. He forgives us of sin. But what I'm saying is it didn't make it right, did it? Now, the Bible does give a couple of indications of where it's okay, it's acceptable. Marital unfaithfulness, okay? So I understand these things. My point today is to say this, that there is a purpose in marriage, and when you sleep with somebody, there's a unity, because that's the definition. How about other things in marriage? Now, you may think, oh, I'm too young to think about this, but you better start thinking about it now before you get married because it's going to be tougher later. What's the role of a woman in a marriage? To be submissive to her husband. I'm safe? Yeah, you see, we don't like to talk about submissiveness. How dare you? I'm a woman. Hear me roar. <laughs> right? Submissiveness. We don't talk about that in churches today. But you see, this is what the Bible says. Now, you're thinking, I don't like this Bible. I don't like this God. I don't want to do that. 
Women, are you willing to do what God has ordained as your role regardless of your opinion? Ask yourself that. That's a tough question. Well, I hope we don't need to talk about what submissiveness means. Okay, this is not a matter of equality. It's a matter of roles. You know, you've probably heard me use this example before from Hoven. What's better, a horse or a cow? I don't know. If you want milk for the cereal, take the cow. If you want to ride into town, the horse. You see, God didn't make a horse better than a cow or a cow better than a horse. He made them with different roles. Likewise, a woman is not better than a man, and a man is not better than a woman. But God has created us with different roles. And I can promise you this, if you take that role seriously, God's going to bless it. He's going to use you in some mighty ways and you're going to have a wonderful marriage. All of these, by the way, are New Testament verses saying that a role of a woman is to be submissive to her husband. And I know that rubs some of you wrong. But again, keep in mind, it's not a matter of equality. But how about you men? What's your role? Well, one of the roles is to have kids of marriage, if you get married, right? It says, fathers to the children shall make known thy truth. That's interesting because most fathers don't want to do that. They want moms to do all the training. Dads don't want to take care of that stuff. They don't. You need to be preparing yourself right now, learning the word of God so that you can train your children later. Okay, I, We can talk more about that later, maybe another time, but bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers are to be the spiritual heads of the house. You know what? Most churches try and find a solid men's Bible study. There's women's groups going on all over the place, but men, not nearly as many, because men aren't taking their role seriously to be spiritual heads. Not rulers, not kings, spiritual heads. What's that mean? Well, in Ephesians it says this, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Did Jesus come and say, hey, I want dinner at six, rub my feet, do this, do that? No, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So guess what, guys? What are you supposed to do for your future wives? Serve them. You know a great way to start doing that? Start practicing holding the door open for a woman. Open the car door for her, treating her with respect now. You see, if you're going to love your wives as Christ loved the church, you need to be preparing yourself to serve them. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that if husbands would love their wives like that, wives wouldn't have a problem being submissive. And if you guys were submissive, maybe husbands wouldn't have a problem loving your wives like that. Come to think of it, if we were both submissive, to the roles God has ordained for us in a marriage, I'll bet marriages would work. And statistically, they do. When people go to church together regularly as a family, pray together as a family, worship together as a family, that they have God in their life, one in 300 end up getting a divorce compared to the 50% that we're seeing out there in society and in churches where people play church. Makes a big difference. I'm running out of time here, so how about clothing? Why do we wear clothes? Well, it's cold out. That better not be why, because I am not coming back here in the summer to speak then. (laughs) Why do we wear clothing? You know, again, we don't think of these as doctrines, guys, but they are doctrines. 
Why do we wear clothing? You go all the way back to Genesis. We see where clothing is given. Adam and Eve sinned. They became aware of their nakedness, and God took an animal as a blood sacrifice to cover their sinfulness. I believe that there is a very high likelihood that the, God, the animal God killed was a lamb to foreshadow 4,000 years in the future a lamb of God who would shed his blood on the cross to cover our sinfulness today. Not just cover, but to take away. You see, we wear clothing because of sin, but today we've got this idea that clothing is for fashion. As a man, I hate fashion, okay? Because it changes all the time. And I'm slow. I can't keep up with it. Okay, but that is not why we wear clothing. We are to wear clothing to cover our nakedness, to cover our bodies, to cover sin. And I'm going to really step on toes here, but women, I'll tell you what, some of the clothes you guys wear is downright demonic. It is. You know, Matthew Henry, a very popular Bible commentator, said this, men sin, but devils tempt to sin. That doesn't relieve the male of his responsibility to keep his eyes from wandering, but it doesn't also relieve you of your responsibility of dressing decently. You should wear clothes that cover your body, not form to your body. Guys, I don't know why God made us this way, but I'll tell you this. Why do you suppose men are singled out when it says, you know, that a man will look lustfully upon a woman's body, he commits adultery? Why are men singled out? Well, because typically women don't have a problems with that. It's the men. Do you know that a man has a sexual thought three to four hundred times a day? I know, some of your eyes, yep, and they're looking at you, okay? Three to four hundred times a day. You know, I used to think when I was younger, you know, you get older, those things go away. I was at a Bible study where a 70-year-old pastor was still talking about his struggles with lust. Doesn't get any better. Unless you are like Job, who said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. That means, guys, what you need to do is, first of all, you need to realize it's not eye candy. It's sin. If a man looks lustfully upon a woman, he commits adultery. When you re realize that this is sin and you say, God, I don't want to sin, then God will help you with your eyes. Okay, that's a promise. Even after I got married, I remember you'd see some girl in a mini skirt over there and it's like, oh man. And it's like, doggone it. Why does she have to dress that way? I don't want to have my eyes. I don't want to be falling into adultery because of the way she's dressed. And I had to pray, God, help me. Because I know that the world isn't going to change, but as much as you can, you need to. And you know, God began to heal my eyes. And don't get me wrong, I'm not some saint that never has, you know, never has a lustful thought. I'm, I'm a sinner. Okay? But I'll tell you something. God is healed my eyes in ways that are, are amazing because I want eyes for my wife only. And I'd love to talk more about that, but for now, I'm out of time. The key is this, guys. If evolution is true, you set their own rules. You wear whatever kind of clothing you want. You can get married. You don't have to get married. If creation is true, then God makes the rules, and there are standards of what we should do because Genesis isn't some allegorical book. It's a foundation not just for creation, but for marriage, for clothing, for almost every church doctrine you have. I need to close with one last important thing. I'm not going to talk about abortion and how that ties in, although I'd love to. 
The last thing is this. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Guys, without death, you cannot be forgiven. You've heard me talk about this before, but I need to say it again. If you believe dinosaurs lived millions of years ago before people, that means death was already in the world before people. But Genesis is a foundation to correct that too. Genesis says, no, Adam and Eve, people were here. They sinned. That's how death got here. That's how disease, thorns, thistles, and all bad things came about. Well, if that's not true, and evolution is, and death was already here, that means death has no spiritual meaning at all. It's not the curse of sin, and therefore it can't be the cure for it either. You know, in the reading here, Psalm 13, we see that God would not abandon the body of Jesus. He would not let it see decay. Why? Because you see, Jesus came to die on the cross for you, a meaningful, purposeful death. Not death that has no meaning, death that has meaning. The meaning of the curse. So he says, all right, I'll take it for you. So he dies on the cross taking that curse for you. And then God didn't allow him to see decay. He rose him from the dead. Another miracle. But not just a miracle for the sake of a miracle, a miracle for the sake of giving you life eternally. That just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too you can have new life. But I got news for you guys, that is only true if Genesis is. It is only true if Genesis is because if Genesis is true, that means death was meaningful. It was the curse. That means Jesus' death was meaningful. It was taking your punishment for you. If Genesis is not true, then that statement isn't either. And this is why he says, if they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. Again, as Christians, be consistent. If you can believe Genesis in the, miracle, or in the New Testament, if you can believe those miracles, why are you having a problem believing miracles in the Old? Because evolution takes just as many miracles, by the way. The miracle of life, the miracle of the atomic particle coming about without, you know, by breaking every law of science that we know to man. So it's not that, oh, you Christians, you're just miracle believers. Yes, I am. But so are you. You have to have great faith. It's just that my faith is based on someone who was there, who does know everything, and who I am willing to submit to because I'm not God and He is. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for being a Creator that we are held accountable to. But most of all, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, who has become our accountability. That He has interceded for us and that our sins have been taken away when we call on His name and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May that truth carry us through not just today, but throughout the rest of this earthly life. In Jesus' name, amen.